My name is Meryl Dory, and welcome to Under the Wire. And I'm just going to give a brief explanation about why I am sitting here instead of where I normally am in the Under the Wire bunker. And that is because we are doing renovations right now, and Under the Wire bunker is the chief storage point for the renovations. So uh, I'll be, thank you. Thanks, Adam and Melanie. I appreciate that. I don't know what's going on with the headphones. There always seems to be something. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna be a little bit chaotic around here for the next little while. Also, um, for the next few weeks, under the wire will be coming for you, coming to you, not for you, coming to you from many different locations. Next week I'm going to be in Tasmania, so I'll be doing a show from either Launceston or Hobart. I think I'll be in Hobart uh, when I do that show. In addition, I will be having a lot of live streams from the Robert Kennedy screenings. I'll be talking about that in a little while. Uh, a bit more, but uh, Under the Wire is going to be coming from you, coming to you from many different locations. Um, in November, we will be streaming from the United States at the VIE uh, vaccine injury event in Washington, D.C., and probably also in New York, and uh, we'll be having some amazing interviews with some incredible people like James Lyons Wheeler, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Del Bigtree, if we can arrange a time when we can both be together, that will be a fantastic interview. Um, so there will be a lot of um, a broadcasts coming to you from other places, not from here. So I'm just letting you know up front, they're gonna be uh, thick and furious and lots and lots of different broadcasts and you have a lot to look forward to. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this morning's Under the Wire. Um, there is a lot of news to catch you up on. I've been away for the last couple of weeks, but the news has not stopped, it never does. And there have been some pretty amazing things happening. Um, one of them is a blog post by someone, no sound. Is anybody else having problems with sound? Because, Sally, I think that other people are able to hear it. You might want to, I don't know if you need to restart your device, check your headphones, or if you're using um, an iPad or a computer, check that out, because other people are getting sound now. So I know I had a problem in the beginning, but I don't think it's a problem right now. So um, if you could um, give a check and let me know if you're still having issues, that would be great. All right, so um, one of my favorite bloggers, Luke Yamaguchi, um, he has put together an amazing blog. Those of you who didn't watch the last Under the Wire, episode nine, great, Adam, thank you. Um, those of you who didn't watch episode nine, I highly recommend you go to the AVN's YouTube channel, click on the Under the Wire link, and uh, check it out. That was my interview with Greg Beattie, and we are gonna be doing um, an update on that because Greg especially wants to talk about polio vaccine and also smallpox. Those are two of the issues that everybody encounters whenever they meet someone and they let them know that they question vaccination. But what about polio? But what about smallpox? So we will be discussing that and giving you some really good talking points and information that you can use in your discussions. But one of the things that Greg, um, one of his points of view, which is very different 
from most other points of view on this issue. Most people focus completely on the risks of vaccine, which are, vaccines have a list as long as your arm of known side effects and harms, including death, including permanent brain damage, including chronic diseases. Um, so vaccines have this very long list of side effects. They also have a long history of ineffectiveness of people who are fully vaccinated getting the diseases they've been vaccinated against whilst their unvaccinated peers somehow are protected. What Greg, Greg's approach is very different and I think is a very effective approach because he says, who cares how effective vaccines are or how safe they are if we can't prove that vaccines actually do what they're supposed to do, save lives, make people healthier. And he has gathered information from the Australian government um, and from governments around the world that demonstrate clearly that when it comes to the decline in mortality and also the decline in morbidity, because you can use mortality, which is deaths, as a proxy for morbidity, which is illness, because until recently um, in Australia, morbidity or the cases of these diseases were not tracked on a nationwide basis. And in many countries like India and in uh, continents like Africa and places in Asia, there is no national database that actually tracks who is getting these diseases. And almost never do we get any information on uh, when we do have reports of these diseases, how many of them were vaccinated already. So um, Greg's way of looking at this is a very a useful tool for anyone to use when they're trying to determine whether or not vaccines have done what they've been told to do, which is to reduce disease and make us healthier. Those are the outcomes that we're supposed to be looking at with vaccination, and it's the outcomes that have never been shown to take place. Now, um, those of you who may have seen my interview uh, several years ago, on a morning program with Peter McIntyre. Um, he was the head of the NCIRS, the National Centers for Immunization Research and Surveillance. I can't believe I remembered that. Um, during that interview, I, I said to the audience, there is not a parent in Australia or anywhere else in the world who would not agree to vaccinate their children if we could be shown that the vaccinated children are healthier than their unvaccinated peers. And up until now, that has never been shown. And I, Peter McIntyre piped in and said, oh, the government is already doing a study using the data on the Australian Childhood Immunization Register to compare the overall health of the fully vaccinated and the fully unvaccinated. And I was like, we've been asking for this since 2003, and this is the first I've heard of it. Um, this interview was about six years ago, and he assured me that that study was taking place. But strangely enough, to date, there has been no information about said study and uh, requests from the government, including a freedom of information claim on the NCIRS, have gone unanswered. So um, we really know what would be required to reduce vaccine hesitancy. I hate using that term because I'm not hesitant about vaccination. I have no hesitancy at all about vaccines. Um, I, I believe that when vaccines are shown to be safe, effective, and useful, 
then I will consider using them. Uh, but until that happens, I won't. And that was a very long introduction to this article from um, Luke Yamaguchi uh, in the United States, all about how to end vaccine hesitancy. Now, what Luke has said is that the World Health Organization, this is in the last 12 months, has declared vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 health threats um, in 2019. Now, that in, in and of itself is laughable. In a world filled with war, filled with famine, filled with all kinds of diseases that we have no vaccines for, um, filled with radio, radioactive issues, with issues concerning um, uh, EMFs, concerning GMOs, concerning so many things that are implicated with killing and injuring people around the world, vaccine hesitancy should not even be in the top 5,000, let alone the top 100 uh, health threats. But for the World Health Organization, which is conflicted when it comes to this issue, they get a lot of money um, from the vaccine manufacturers. They are as corrupt as they come. Um, that could be considered a not so much uh, a health threat, but a profit threat for 2019. Now, I want to show you this graph. A lot of people don't like graphs because they look at them and they think, oh my goodness, all these lines, what's going on? This is actually a fairly simple graph to understand, and it's one that I take great heart in. This is public confidence in vaccination since 2008. Um, the top blue line is confident in the safety of vaccines. So these people who um, are, are surveyed here are saying that about 85% of them in 2008 had confidence that vaccines had been evaluated properly for safety. That figure is about 88% in 2018. Um, the, the black line, the second one down from the top, is who thinks it's very important to vaccinate. And this is an interesting one to me because in 2008, it was around 82%, I'm trying to look at that, and in 2018, it was about 71%. That is a huge decline. The next one is the most interesting one, the red one. That shows who thinks that vaccines have proven to be beneficial. Um, in 2008, it was already fairly low at 75%. In 2018, it was below 60%. It looks about 59%. And that last line is asking, who thinks that not vaccinating puts children at risk? And that line says that about 50% thought that in 2008. And that's gone up to about 61% in 2018. And that is, in my mind, completely due to the fact that the government and the media have colluded, and that word collusion is such a, uh, uh, a hot button word right now with what's been happening in the United States, but basically they have colluded. The government, the pharmaceutical industry, and the media have colluded to push a narrative that states that People who don't vaccinate, unvaccinated children, perfectly healthy, unvaccinated children are somehow placing their vaccinated peers at risk. And that figure that went from 50% to about 61% um, is, an, is a reflection of the fact that the media and the government and the pharmaceutical industry have managed to be pretty successful 
in pushing that narrative and making people afraid of the unvaccinated. I've said this before. When I started questioning vaccines around 1990, um, 1989 to 1990, I'm not sure exactly when, um, nobody cared if I didn't vaccinate. They may have thought it was a bit strange, but they didn't worry about my children playing with their children. Their children were protected. The, the missing link here is that um, anyone who is concerned about unvaccinated children being around them or around their fully vaccinated children is demonstrating clearly that they don't believe that vaccines work anyway and they are simply operating from a place of fear and not a place of logic or intelligent thought. Um, it is like a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, you're unvaccinated, therefore, even though I'm fully vaccinated, I'm at risk. Makes no sense, not scientifically valid, and yet that is the case. So I'm going to switch back to this Luke Yamaguchi um, article now. What he said is he's, he's given certain um, ways in which the government, if they really do want to reduce vaccine hesitancy, this is what they need to do. Quite logical, quite scientific. Require inert placebos to evaluate vaccine safety. That's number one. Now, those of you who are not aware, um, vaccines are not required to undergo the same sorts of scientific studies that other drugs are. And vaccines are drugs. Don't let anyone tell you any different. Just because the American government has classed them as biologics, what the heck is a biologic anyway? It is a drug. It is produced by a drug company and it has all the side effects and problems that any drug has. So when a vaccine is tested, in almost every case, and when I say almost every case, I'm saying 99.9% .9 of the time, it is either compared with another vaccine or a vaccine adjuvant, which is the toxic or poisonous um, solution that is added to vaccine vials to induce an immune response, or it is compared with another product like the, the solution that the vaccine is in, or a totally different vaccine. It is never, almost never compared with an inert substance, which would be saline solution. That's the only substance that should be used when testing safety or effectiveness of vaccines. So that's not done. And what Luke Yamaguchi is saying is, if you want us to believe that vaccines are safe, do the scientific studies we've been asking for. If you are not going to do this scientific studies, you are going to not only see that vaccine hesitancy will continue, but as we've seen in that graph that I showed just before, vaccine hesitancy is going to increase. We're going to see more of it. And um, that's, that's a very valid thing for him to raise. Now I'm going to go on to the next thing that he asked. And he goes through all these tables. Now, I have put links to everything that I'm citing at the top of this broadcast. So anything that I'm putting here, you will be able to go back to and check yourself and share with others. I hope you do share this with others and I hope you share the broadcast too. Um, automate the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Now VAERS, which is the American um, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, in 1986, the American government introduced something called the VICP, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And this 
uh, indemnify drug companies. In other words, you could no longer sue drug companies for any problems encountered after vaccination. Even if the drug company knew that the vaccine was going to cause injuries or deaths, they could not be held accountable. Neither could the government and neither could the, the doctor or nurse who administered the vaccine. There is absolutely no liability. The American Supreme Court has determined that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe, but there is no reason to uh, put liability on those who profit from them. So VAERS collects adverse reactions, um, and it is a passive system. So in other words, um, when someone reports something to VAERS, that report is not sought after. Nobody goes out and says, you have just had X vaccine. Can you please uh, keep track of you or your child's uh, health over the next six months, 12 months, two years, and report any problems that you encounter to theirs so that we can then investigate them. That's not done. That would be an active um, adverse reaction reporting system. And when that's been done um, around the world, there was a study that was done in the UK in the 1980s, where for a period, a very short time, they uh, had an active reporting system with the MMR vaccine. I think it was actually MR. I don't think they were using the MMR vaccine then, just the measles and rubella. There was no mumps portion in it. So for a short period of time, every time someone in a certain health district got the MR vaccine for their child or for themselves, they would be followed up. Um, someone from the clinic or someone from the government would contact them and say, we see that you got the vaccine on this date. Uh, it's now three months down the track. Could you tell us if you had any problems after the vaccination? And what they found was that the number of reactions reported during this trial was five times higher than it was for the passive reporting system. And they thought, oh my goodness, we cannot possibly do this because that could call into question the safety of vaccination. So they went back to their old yellow card, passive reaction system, and most reactions never got reported. And when they did get reported, just like they are at the DAEN in Australia and VAERS in the United States, when those reactions are reported, they are we are told, these are the reactions that were reported, but don't even look there. Don't go there because that information is totally anecdotal. Um, even though we're, we're accepting these reports, we're not going to investigate them and we are not going to put up any red flags if we get more reports than we should. We are just putting them here in this database to show that we're doing something. Um, and therefore, don't worry about it. Vaccines are still perfectly safe, despite the fact that we have all these reactions reported. So Luke Yamaguchi has said there should be an automated system, and there can be. Every hospital, every doctor should have an automatic system where, and, and this would be easy, we already have the Australian Childhood Immunization Register, which is now an adult immunization register in Australia. So every time you go into the hospital or go and see a doctor and you are reporting that you have some kind of problem, yeah, it is a cover-up, Liz. Every time you report you have some kind of problem, the system can say, this person was vaccinated two weeks ago and they've reported this problem. It can be added to the database and the database can then say, hang on a second, we have this vaccine and... In the two weeks following this vaccination, we have had 
28% of people reporting that they had this particular problem, there could be a causal link there. We need to look into this further. Again, the government does not want to do this, even though it would be cheap and easy to do, because they don't want to know the harms that vaccines are causing. They don't care how many people are being injured by vaccines. They really don't. It would rock their pharmaceutical boat, and that's the last thing that they want to do. Um, these changes, and that's one reason why I find that that graph, that table where it showed that people were no longer quite as enamored of vaccines, the change to vaccination will come when more and more people simply refuse to do it. Uh, and I think that's the only way it's going to come. And when we reach critical mass where there is a majority of people not vaccinating, and I think we're getting close to it. There was a survey, and I should have linked to it here. I will find it. There was a survey uh, done recently. It was only reported in the last three or four days in the United States that showed that one-third of children, when they enter school in a particular state, that has a conscientious exemption, one third of those children are not vaccinated or not fully vaccinated. And in a country where vaccination is compulsory in every state and many states don't have um, anything other than medical exemptions and those medical exemptions are almost impossible, um, the idea that a third of children entering kindergarten uh, are not fully vaccinated, to me, is a sign that we are getting close to reaching that critical mass. And I know I told you a few weeks ago that I give it two years before we get there, and I really do believe that. I think within two years, we are going to hit that critical mass. What's going to happen when we do it? Will we have more tyranny from the government? I don't know. Um, but it is interesting to see what's happening. Okay, back to Luke Yamaguchi. I can see I'm gonna run over here, so if you guys are getting bored, let me know. Um, number three, proposed policy three. Hey, compare the health outcomes of the vaccinated with the unvaccinated. And as I've said before, in Australia, that would be as simple as writing a query for a database and pushing a button because we already have that data. We have the database that has been in existence since 1998. So over 20 years of data on millions, if not tens of millions, probably tens of millions of children linked to their, vac their vaccination status is in one database. Their Medicare information is in another database. And it would be very simple to say, here we have a group that is fully vaccinated, here we have a group that is partially vaccinated, and here we have a group that is completely unvaccinated. How many cases of autism, how many cases of ADHD, of neurodevelopmental disorders, of eczema, of asthma, of chronic illness are we seeing in each group? And in 2003, I got a letter from the then head of the Liberal Party, the Liberals were in government at the time, stating to my question about why we're not doing this study, that I know why you are asking this question. You think it will show that the unvaccinated are healthier than the vaccinated, and we will not do this study because it could lead to changes in government policy. And if that is not a sign that the government doesn't give a damn about you and your children, I don't know what is. This is a survey. Now, it's a survey, not a study, but it was quite, quite large. Um, 
It was Mawson et al. And on this page, he has links to all of the studies and tables and charts and events that he's um, linking to, that he's discussing. This shows um, the incidence of these conditions in the vaccinated as compared to the unvaccinated. And for instance, allergic rhinitis, which is, we used to call it hay fever, 30.1 times higher in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. That's, if that's not a red flag, learning disabilities, 5.2 times higher in the vaccinated. ADHD, 4.2 times higher. Not surprisingly, autism, 4.2 times, 4 times higher. Neurodevelopmental disorders, 3.7 times higher. Eczema, 2.9 times higher. Chronic illness, 2.4 times higher. And that last one is the unvaccinated pool of children. Um, this is, this should be ringing alarm bells for everyone. The fact that we have this data, and since this Mawson study came out, there was another study um, by the guy who wrote the vaccine friendly plan. I cannot remember his name. I'm sorry, it's just gone right out of my head. He's a medical doctor and he's in Oregon, where, which still has all three medical exemptions, um, philosophical, uh, conscientious, sorry, philosophical and conscientious, religious and medical exemptions. And he, Paul Thomas, that's his name, it's just come back to me. Um, he did a study amongst his patients. Now he still vaccinates. His book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan, is all about how people who are concerned about vaccine safety can still vaccinate their children in a more safe way. Paul Thomas, thank you, Sue. I did remember it at the very last second. Um, and his, his belief is that vaccines should be available for those who still want to use them, but he does not push them. If you come to him and say, I want to use the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, but I don't want the DTAP, he'll say, fine, here's the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and here's DTAP. And he did a study amongst his patients, and I think it was 1,600 children in his study. And he found, now I used to remember exactly what it was, but there was a huge increase in autism diagnoses in the children who were fully vaccinated as compared to the children who were partially vaccinated. And in the children who were completely unvaccinated, autism was vanishingly rare. There are children who become autistic without any vaccines whatsoever. I personally believe that a child of a parent or of two parents who were never vaccinated come, coming from a family where there are no vaccines, and there are families like this. I know of a couple in Ballina where the grandparents never vaccinated, uh, their, their children were never vaccinated and the children's children were never vaccinated. And these are the healthiest children I know. They were also very involved in nutrition, so they ate healthy. <clears throat> Pardon me, they didn't take pharmaceutical drugs at all. And I think that their genes are just intact where many of our genes are not. And what I wanna talk about in an upcoming uh, Under the Wire, I don't have time to do it today, epigenetics, that's right. Um, what I want to talk about is a recent report by Corvelva, and I may even do an under the wire one night this coming week uh, because it is such an important um, result. Uh, Corvelva found, Corvelva is the Italian uh, scientific organization that's been studying the contents of vaccines, and they found an entire genome from a boy 
whose uh, fetal cells, in other words, this was a child who was aborted uh, in order to make a vaccine, and his entire genome is in the vaccine. There are so many problems that can occur because of this, and it's something that we were told uh, would not happen, and again, we were lied to. But anyway, back to this. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, the, the fact is that children who are unvaccinated uh, are healthier than their vaccinated peers. So if the government is saying that vaccines will make us healthier, they have no evidence to show that. And we have a lot of evidence to show the complete opposite. I'd like to go on to proposed policy number four, make vaccine manufacturers liable for vaccine injuries. What a novel, um, <laughs> a novel idea. Uh, the, the thing is, if you are a company that is making a profit on something and you do not have to make that something uh, safe, why would you? Especially if making that product safe is gonna cost you extra money. You are a profit-driven corporation. Vaccine manufacturers are no different from, pharmas from um, tobacco companies. Vaccine manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies are for-profit organizations that answer to their board of directors and to their shareholders. And with vaccines, they don't even have to answer to the courts because nobody can take a vaccine manufacturer to court without first suing the, um, the special court, the vaccine court that was set up in the United States for, uh, for um, taking care of vaccine injuries and side effects. Now this vaccine court uh, started out as a um, non-adversarial, uh, basically a court where if your child had X reaction after a vaccine, let's say it was seizures, they developed epilepsy after vaccination, you would be given this amount of money. And if they developed brain damage, you would be given this amount of money. If they died of SIDS, you would be given $125,000, which is the maximum for the death of a child. Just crazy. But it was non-adversarial. It was supposed to be non-adversarial, and it was supposed to be no fault. Because these parents had done the right thing and done as the government asked and submitted their children to this risk, they were supposed to be compensated, as if there's any compensation for the health or the life of a child. But that's what it was supposed to be. And these parents, many times, like in Australia, they suffer greatly because they are trying to take care of a child, um, in many cases, while they're aging and wondering what the heck is going to happen when they get too old to handle their child or when they, God forbid, die and their child is left there with no one to take care of them. Um, but very quickly... Uh, the court became adversarial. The uh, conditions that they would compensate for became smaller and smaller. And the amount of time where you would have to file a claim became shorter. And the fact is, there's no one in the doctor's surgeries or the government who is saying, if your child has a reaction, go to this website, report it, and file a claim. You have to know that you are able to file that claim, and that information is held very secret. Um, so the, the fact is that, um, that there is no care taken. There is no duty of care at all. And uh, the ability 
for parents to gain compensation, even though the compensation is paid for by the parents themselves through an excise tax added to every single dose of vaccine is almost impossible. And in Australia, trying to find a lawyer who will take a case after your child is injured or killed after vaccination is next to impossible. So we have these vaccines that are known to be unavoidably unsafe, that are chock-a-block full of poisons. I don't like calling them toxins because toxins to a lot of people, well, it's a toxin. What's a toxin? You call it what it's really is, what it really is, it's a poison. The idea of injecting poisons into your children, that's gonna get people's attention. And the fact is that any thinking parent if they were given a list of every single ingredient that's in a vaccine, including the ones that are not on the prescribing information, because not every ingredient is on that package insert. Um, I don't think there is one reasonable parent out there who would agree to get their children vaccinated if they were given this information up front. And that's what the AVN is all about. We are about providing the information to you as a parent that the government and the medical community is either not giving you, withholding, suppressing, or simply not aware of. And you would not believe the ignorance of many doctors who absolutely have no idea what's in vaccines. So we have vaccinations that are known to be toxic. We have vaccines that are linked with a huge range of side effects and all sorts of um, health problems. And they are still on the market. They are still being used. Not only are they being used, they are pushed. I would like to compare them with something that's just happened in the United States. This is October 15th. Taco Bell, and we have Taco Bell in Australia now, but it's only recent. Taco Bell recently recalled over 2 million pounds, I think that's about a million kilos, something around there, of seasoned beef after one customer found a metal shaving in that beef. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have recalled that. I think that's a very valid and uh, a prudent thing to do, to recall that beef if there's a potential, potential that it is contaminated with something that is not good for your health. Aside from the fact that ingesting metal is not the same as injecting it, um, because if you ingest, your gut is, is made to filter out toxins, your liver will get rid of it. You will excrete toxins. Until you're overloaded with them, your body has the ability to rid itself of all of these things. So if you eat something with metal shavings in it, while it might feel uncomfortable, the idea of eating that, chances are nothing is going to happen to you unless they're very sharp, and then it could pierce your, your esophagus or your gut, but that's usually not the case. But when you inject metals, and aluminum is a metal, and before the, the skeptics start saying, well, it's not elemental aluminum, it's aluminum hydrox hydroxide or another form of an aluminum compound, it breaks down into aluminum in the body. And because you inject it, when you ingest aluminum, and there's aluminum in a lot of things, in soy products, in so many different um, things that we get, in tin cans, you know, if you have something in a can, uh, a lot of times it has aluminum and many other things in it. When you ingest it, a tiny, tiny percentage uh, can be stored in your body. It isn't always. If, you're, if your body is working the way it should, most of it, if not all of it, will be excreted. But when you inject it, 
almost all of it is stored in your body and much of that in your brain uh, where it can cause all sorts of issues. So we know that vaccines contain metals. Sorry. We know that vaccines contain metals. We know that they can contain heavy metals. Uh, and these metals, when they're injected into the body, can go straight to the brain and cause all sorts of neurological problems, can cause seizures, can cause encephalitis, um, can cause all kinds of problems, along with the other ingredients in the vaccines, aside from the viruses and the bacteria that are in there, that are meant to be in there, all the contaminating uh, substances that are in vaccines can cause a huge range of issues. So um, we really and truly wonder, I have to wonder, why is it that two million pounds of beef can be recalled as a precaution because of shavings found in one taco, but thousands and tens of thousands of children uh, getting brain damage, becoming chronically ill and dying after vaccination does not lead to recalls of any vaccine. And in fact, in Australia, we don't even have the, um, the ability to track hot lots. Uh, in the United States, every lot and batch number is recorded on, on the vaccine reaction report and they can identify what is called a hot lot. So a lot of vaccine or, or group of vaccine vials that may be more reactive than another group. They identify them, but they don't recall the vaccines. Even when they've identified them, they'll say, oh yeah, we've identified this hot lot. We're gonna keep giving it. But in Australia, we don't even have the ability to do that because our database does not collect information on lot and batch number. We report lot and batch number, but it's not put into the database, last I heard anyway. Uh, unless they've changed that, and I can stand to be corrected, someone tell me if that's what they're doing, but as of the last time that I looked at this, they were not doing that. So we have a situation where many, many people are getting killed and injured by vaccines. Uh, this is a report from ABC New York, um, and it says that government has paid billions in vaccine injury claims. Now, this is rare that the mainstream media will report on this. I don't know if it's going to stay up or not. I have downloaded it. I've downloaded the video and I've downloaded the page. You may want to do the same because this is a very recent report from October 17th. And uh, it may not stay there. These things have a way of disappearing. I'm surprised it stayed up as long as it has. And what they're doing is saying that we're reporting that there is a terrible outbreak of measles going on, the worst outbreak in three decades, um, with no deaths. And as far as I know, very few hospitalizations. And I don't know about the background of those hospitalizations. But... Um, we have a vaccine injury compensation program that's paid billions of dollars, and most people don't even know that this program exists. And the reason this program exists is because Congress indemnified vaccine companies so you could no longer sue them. This is information that most parents in the United States would not be aware of. First of all, they wouldn't be aware that there is a compensation program, and they would not be aware that this program um, means that the vaccine manufacturers can no longer be sued. They are totally um, harm, they are held harmless when cases of vaccine injury occur. And what this doctor says, Dr. Roberto Posada says, uh, serious side effects are very, very, very rare 
surprised he didn't add a few more varies in there. It has been proven that the vaccine is safe. And what I say to that, it has been proven that Dr. Roberto Posada is a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire, Dr. Posada, because it has been proven that every single vaccine can cause chronic long-term illness and disability and death. And that is the truth, that is the scientific truth. Every child and adult who is vaccinated is at a risk of having permanent lifelong disability and of dying from that vaccine. And this month, October, is Vaccine Injury Awareness Month, and we are posting on the AVN Facebook page uh, stories from just a few of the hundreds of thousands of families out there whose children and who they themselves as adults were either killed or injured by vaccines. Vaccines are not safe. Vaccines are unavoidably unsafe products, which according to the Supreme Court in Ireland, sorry, the Supreme Court in the United States and the High Court in Ireland cannot be made safe for their usual use. So anyone who tells you vaccines are safe, they are lying or they are ill-informed or they are simply brainwashed, one or the other. So um, going back to Vaccine Injury Awareness Month, um, it, we're, we're halfway through the month now, so there have been quite a few events. Uh, I have a link to this page. This is Viam Vaccine Injury Awareness Month. Please check the page out and see if there is an event near you. And if there is, go. Show support for the families who are there. Show respect for those who have paid the cost, in some cases, the, fi the, um, the final cost for having been vaccinated, uh, for doing, in other words, the right thing, according to the government. Tonight in uh, the Northern Rivers is going to be a vigil for the vaccine injured. It's a candlelight vigil. It's going to be held in the park opposite the Beach Hotel starting at seven o'clock. I'm going to be there. Please come along if you can. Bring a candle if you can. There will be some candles available there, but um, if you if you have the ability, sorry, if you have the ability to bring a candle, please do so. Um, it starts at seven. Uh, it's running until t uh, I hate military time. It's running until eight o'clock, and um, we will be sharing our support for these families. There will be stories from families whose children have been vaccine injured. Um, and please, if you are in the area, come along. The people who organize these events, for anyone who's never done it, you have no idea how much work is involved in getting these events off the ground. And it is, um, what's the word, I'm discouraging. It is heartbreaking when you do so much work and people don't come out and support it. Not only that, it makes it more difficult for people to put on community events to support the community if the community doesn't support the events. So I'm, I'm asking everyone who lives in the Northern Rivers to put one hour of your time aside to come out tonight. Uh, as I said, the link to both the Viam page on Facebook and this particular page for the Northern Rivers is in the um, top of the uh, broadcast here. So you can click and get this directly. So um, really and truly, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to say hi. So um, come along. All right. Uh, 
This next one is a beauty. All right, the Immunization Alliance, Western Australia, um, has put on a puppet show for free. Wow. Um, it's called Beat the Bugs Puppet Show. Now, this is a puppet show that is targeting children and their parents in a fear campaign. Um, you can watch this show. I've done it again. I keep doing that. You can watch this show by clicking on the YouTube link. link. I could not watch more than a minute of it because it is such rubbish. But you can watch this show if you'd like um, and see the sort of crap that's being fed to children and to adults. And it's put on by the Immunization Alliance. Um, this is the Immunization Alliance on this page. Now, I tried to find out who is funding the Immunization Alliance because they are funding Light for Riley, Catherine and Greg Hughes, who are, um, their child Riley died supposedly from the uh, DPT vaccine, no, sorry, from whooping cough, I apologize, from whooping cough, uh, too young to be vaccinated, uh, and they have become government advisors without any experience whatsoever. Um, government advisors about vaccination policy, and um, there is a great blog on the AVN's Facebook on the AVN's website. Uh, I have not linked to it, but you can find it on the AVN's website just by searching "Light for Riley," um, showing how these many of these families who have lost children to disease are not only being lauded and celebrated in the halls of parliament, but they are making quite a bit of money out of um, pushing vaccines. They show no compassion, no caring about the many, many more children who are killed and injured by vaccination. Um, and why I'm going through this is because I went to this website. Now, every website, has an about us or something along those lines, an about us page that tells a lot about what the organization is involved with. And with many nonprofits, and this is purporting to be a nonprofit, but I believe it's a front group, um, many nonprofits will actually put down their source of funding. The AVN says we are a membership and, and uh, sponsorship funded organization. If you go to our About Us page and it tells about the history of the organization and a lot of information for anybody who goes to the AVN page and wants to know who are these people? Why are they doing this? When I click on About Us here, and I'm hoping this works, my internet's not that fast, nothing found. Sorry, the post you are looking for is not available. Maybe you want to perform a search. And I've tried searching. I've tried searching for funding sources. I've tried searching for donations. They have a donations um, link here on the page. Um, and it's donations to the Immunization Foundation of Australia are to support immunization programs, including research and vaccination programs, both in Australia and overseas. Now, that's interesting because Vaccinations are made by the richest corporations in the entire world. The pharmaceutical industry, the companies that make up the pharmaceutical industry are have more income and more um, profit share than all of the rest of the Fortune 500 combined. So we are raising money to research vaccines, really? Isn't that something that they should be doing before they're licensed? I mean, 
Why? We're having a telethon for Merck Sharp and Dome. We're having a donation drive to Smith Klein and Beecham. Pasteur Marieu is uh, their profit share is down by a uh, hundred million dollars this year. So we need to raise money for them. What is this? This is an organization that should be transparent. They are out there targeting children in, in public libraries and on YouTube to tell them that they should ask their parents to get them vaccinated. And they are not transparent about where their funding is coming from. But they do say that they fund, they're one, one of the funders of Light for Riley, um, which is Catherine Hughes and Greg Hughes. So when we look at who is pushing vaccination, um, we need to really take a look at where their funding is coming from um, and where it's going to. Uh, the AVN is very transparent in our funding. We file a, um, every year we file with the Office of Fair Trading our financial report. Uh, people can go to the Office of Fair Trading and request it. Uh, organizations like the Australian Skeptics, on the other hand, which are supposed to be doing exactly the same thing because they are uh, an incorporated association in New South Wales, just like we are, uh, they don't do that. They don't always. I mean, sometimes they have. They've gone for years without doing it, and they were just allowed to catch up, and they are not transparent at all. According to the latest figures that I saw, they had 16 members, but they say to people who um, subscribe to their magazine, The Skeptic, that they are members, and either they only have 16 subscribers, which I really doubt very much, or they're telling a bit of a porky there. So we need to be looking at where the information we're getting is coming from, how well referenced it is, and what sorts of conflicts of interest there can be for those who are giving us information. Now, I want to end today's broadcast with something that um, Anita Hofmeister, the, uh, the president of the AVN, talked about uh, last week. I've been away and I didn't even have uh, much if any, uh, internet service when I was away, which was actually really, really nice. Um, I got to do a lot of other things that were very relaxing and uh, didn't really look at Facebook because I couldn't. I couldn't get Facebook to load. The internet was so bad. Um, so, But Anita, last week, and you'll see it on the AVN Facebook page, uh, did a broadcast about a Facebook Live about this um, show that was on Life Matters, uh, the 10th of October, and I only just looked at it, and I happen to have a transcript of it now. The transcript is not publicly available yet, but I'm thinking we're gonna put it up on the AVN's website. If anybody would like the transcript to use for any purposes, um, send an email message to AVN Inquiries, A-V-N-E-N-Q-U-I-R-I-E-S at avn.org.au and ask, put in the subject line, please send transcript, and we'll get this off to you. Um, but it will be up on the AVN website soon too. So if you wanna just wait for that, that would be fine. I'll just move it over here so you can see it. Um, it's an interview on Life Matters, which I really, I used to really like that program. Um, right now they, like much of the ABC, they've become pro-pharma, anti-choice, anti-balance, anti-science. Um, but this is an interview between um, one of the moderators, presenters, Hillary Harper, 
and um, Julie Leesk, who I've known for some time. Uh, she's a science, social scientist and professor uh, at the School of Nursing and Midwifery at the University of Sydney. She's worked with Simon Chapman and Peter McIntyre, who are both um, strongly anti-choice on this issue. Um, they may not necessarily come straight out and say people should be vaccinated at gunpoint, but I, I think they only stop just short of that. Um, and I don't know if I can pronounce this person's name, Thomas Rosbrug. I haven't listened to the um, to the broadcast. They probably um, pronounced his name, but I haven't listened to it. I've only read the transcript. So I'm just going to call him Thomas because I can say that. Um, and it's all about what I started the broadcast about, vaccine hesitancy, one of the 10 top uh, health threats for 2019, according to the World Health Organization. And what this broadcast is all about is whether it is right for doctors to abuse and shame parents who are hesitant when it comes to vaccination. So we are contacted on a regular basis um, by, by doctors, sorry, by, by parents who have been openly abused um, by doctors yelled at, kicked out of the office, told you're going to murder your child in front of your child, all these horrible things. Um, and the discussion here was about, is this the best approach? Is this the best way that we can use to convince parents who are hesitant about vaccination that they should vaccinate? And there were basically nobody there who is vaccine hesitant. You would think that for any discussion about vaccine hesitancy, shouldn't they have had someone who is vaccine hesitant, or I hate that term vaccine hesitant, someone who has chosen not to vaccinate uh, on the show so that they could actually ask them, well, why is it that you are hesitant? And how do you feel about doctors who are abusive when it comes to your choice, to your own family's health? Um, do you think it's appropriate for doctors to be abusive? But they didn't do that. They had Julie Leesk and Thomas on the show and Hillary, who was the compare. Um, so I'm only going to skip through a few points that I've highlighted here. This was, as Anita said, a pretty shocking program. Um, some of the things that were said, some of the epithets that were used about people who don't vaccinate were absolute vilification. But we'll just go through it. Um, so we're talking here, Julie Leesk is saying that we don't differentiate between people who are openly anti-vaccine and people who simply don't vaccinate and why they've made those choices. Uh, and she says the problem is that there are activists out there worldwide who are dedicated to dissuading people from vaccinating for whatever reason. You know, we, we just like being abused. We like being vilified. Whether it be financial, I don't know anybody, anybody, who makes money not vaccinating. It's the other way around. In, in Australia, you, you lose tens of thousands of dollars not vaccinating. And she knows that. Julie Leesk knows that because she wrote a submission opposing no jab, no pay when the um, parliamentary hearing was on. Okay, so she said, whether it be financial, the alternative approaches to health, professional, I don't know what she means by professional, or people who have had something go wrong with their child and are just almost evangelical in their approach. Well, if you had a child, like I did, who was seriously affected by their vaccines, 
and you see other people vaccinating in ignorance, I wouldn't call it evangelical, but I'd say that I'm pretty passionate about this. I don't want to see kids go through what my kid went through. So yeah, if you want to call that evangelical, call me evangelical. Um, I'll own up to that. This creates the impression, I guess, because that small group is loud, and it's not a small group, I'm telling you that. It creates the impression that people who don't vaccinate are the same, synonymous with anti-vaccination activists. And that creates problems in the broader discussion, I think, for vaccine programs, other things as well. Now, that goes back to this whole issue of being anti-vaccination. Um, I do know people who are anti-vaccination. They believe that nobody should be vaccinating because they think that everyone who is vaccinated is going to be harmed. I personally think that everyone who is vaccinated is going to be harmed, but it's, I don't think it's up to me to make your decision. Crazy as that may sound, I think that you as an intelligent adult should be allowed to make choices for yourself and for your family. Even if I don't agree with them, hey, you know, I think that you should be allowed to make that decision without government interference, without financial penalty, without coercion, vilification, or any form of pressure. Um, I think that if you were given the information, you would choose not to vaccinate, but whatever. It's not my decision. It doesn't affect me personally. I make decisions for myself and for my family, and you should be allowed to also. I am not anti-vaccine. I am pro-choice, I am pro-science, and I am pro-freedom. So I totally dislike that term, anti-vaccine, and it is only used because it leaves an impression in people's minds, like the term conspiracy theorist. Are there conspiracies? You bet there are. Um, there was a conspiracy to suppress the information about the, the child abuse in the Catholic Church and in other churches. Um, there is no doubt about that. Uh, but the term conspiracy theory is one that was um, started in the 1960s for a particular purpose, and it is used now to leave an impression in people's minds that these people are fringe, they are crazy, they are not someone you should listen to. And the phrase anti-vaccine is very much the same. So let's go back to this. Um, so again, Julie is talking about people who have chosen not to vaccinate. She says it's a big group um, of children. If you look at all the children who are under vaccinated, so have had no vaccines or aren't up to date with their vaccines, this is a big group whose parents haven't been able to get to vaccination on time for a whole bunch of reasons or whose providers have said, no, we need to delay this for a bunch of reasons. Well, do you think one of those reasons for delaying might be that your child almost died after a vaccination? We need to remember that there is a practical and logistical factor group. What she is saying is that a lot of the people who don't vaccinate or haven't vaccinated to date have done so because they haven't been able to get to the doctors or um, it's just too hard for them. Now, I am telling you that in Australia, for anybody who is on government benefits of any kind and who wants to put their child into childcare, um, they will make time to get their children vaccinated. Um, this group of parents who don't vaccinate because of logistical reasons is non-existent. I don't think there is anyone in Australia who hasn't vaccinated because they can't get to the doctor or it's just too hard. I think that losing 27,000 or whatever it is up to now, 
dollars per child per year will make you make time to get to the doctor. There is a growing, a large and growing number of families who are not vaccinating and they are not vaccinating because they are sick of the medical lies. They are sick of seeing children injured and killed after vaccination, including their own children. And they are sick of not being provided with proper science on vaccine safety and effectiveness, as well as vaccine necessity. Australian people are intelligent, they love their children, and they will not do anything to harm their kids um, while they can help it. So Julie Leesk is telling a bit of a porky here. She may not know it's a porky, just to give her credit where credit is due. She may think this is the case. The people that she interviewed 10 years ago before no jab, no pay may have told her this. But in today's Australia, I don't think this is the case at all. So um, she talks about the main reasons. She's summarizing the main reasons why people who have been interviewed by her team have said they don't vaccinate. Um, she says there are the parents who have alternative approaches to parenting in general and not vaccinating is just consistent with that particular alternative parenting approach. So this could be people who um, send their children to private schools who have done a lot of research on education and they have decided that they, for their family, don't want to vaccinate. And that's perfectly fine, and I think she's right. Then there are the parents who are simply very vigilant with everything. This is an interesting comment, because what she's saying is the parents who do vaccinate might not necessarily be very vigilant. And this has been the experience of many groups that have looked at people who don't vaccinate. Hi, Robin. Um, they, they have realized, there was a, a survey done outside of a, an immunization clinic, and I hate to use that term, but that's what it was called, a vaccination clinic in Brisbane. This was in the mid-1990s. The Catholic University um, sent someone to talk to the people who were standing online to get their children vaccinated at the clinic. It was a council clinic. And they asked them, what vaccines are your children getting today and what diseases are they meant to prevent? And more than 75% of the parents had no idea what vaccines their children were supposed to get and no idea what diseases they were meant to prevent. If you asked a parent who doesn't vaccinate what vaccines are given and what diseases are vaccinated against, I can tell you those parents will be able to give you an answer. They may not know every single vaccine, but they will know most of them. They will be able to tell you at what age vaccines are given, and they will be able to tell you quite clearly why they have chosen not to do it. So again, what Julie Leesk is saying here is contrary to the point that she's trying to make, because she's saying that there are parents who don't vaccinate who are simply very vigilant with everything. They're intensive about their parenting, as if that's a bad thing. They are intensive about every decision they make with their children. And sometimes the vaccination decision becomes this highly deliberated process. In other words, we don't want parents deliberating about vaccination. We want them to just do what they're told. Why the hell aren't they doing that? So Julie Leesk, you have made our point for us here because the parents who are not vaccinating tend to be very vigilant about their children's health. And every parent should be very vigilant about their children's health. And then she says they're the parents who've had a bad experience. They may have been unquestioning acceptors of vaccination. That was me. I had no 
question about vaccination. It was the right thing to do or a bit hesitant or even a little bit alternative, but something has happened to make them lose trust in the vaccination program, maybe the lies, but whether it be something that went wrong with the birth or disillusionment with excessive medical intervention during pregnancy, or whether it be something that happened after vaccination that may have not been managed so well, and they blame the problem that happened after vaccination on the vaccine. Well, I think that that's a pretty reasonable position to take. If you see a child who is injured by a vaccine, or you have a doctor who um, has too much intervention and you see your child harmed by that, I think it is a very reasonable thing to then turn around and say, I want to um, investigate this further. I want to know more about this. And when you investigate this further, and it doesn't take a whole lot of investigation to reach this conclusion, you may find that vaccines are neither safe, nor effective, nor even necessary. And once you find that out, you will become an ex-vaxxer because you will put the health of your children before your financial stability or um, any form of government uh, coercion or any form of medical uh, abuse. None of those things should have a role to play here. So, um, now, Julie Leask talks a bit about those who vaccinate and their idea of the non-vaccinators. And this goes back to that table that we saw at the very beginning uh, the, in the Luke Yamaguchi study, where it showed that um, 10 years ago, people didn't worry as much about the unvaccinated. That amount of people who worry about the unvaccinated placing them and their children at risk has gone up. Um, Julie Leask says, oh, sorry, this is Thomas. Uh, in the research we've done, we can see that pro-vaccine people are often worried that vaccine-refusing people almost represent an anti-reason group or an anti-science group. In many ways, they're worried about vaccine-refusing people not just as a vector for disease, but as a vector for these broader, dangerous ideas. This kind of rejection of modern medicine now, the only dangerous idea is one that is suppressed. Because if we trust that people can make decisions for themselves, if we trust that people are intelligent enough to vote, if we trust that people are intelligent enough to raise children, then we have to trust that they are intelligent enough to make decisions once given the information. Um, there is no such thing as dangerous information. There is only suppressed information and information that is factual. Um, and any information that is not factual will soon be found out and will be rejected. So um, people, for instance, are worried that, that, now I'm Jewish, I've said this before, people are worried that people who question the Holocaust are going to be questioning this publicly and people are going to then decide that there was no Holocaust and it's all a big lie. I say, I believe there was a Holocaust. If you don't believe that and you want to question it, go for it. I think that any right-thinking person, any person who has looked at this information will come to the conclusion that your information is not correct. But that is up to them. That is totally up to them. Let them go ahead and question. We need to question everything we've been told. And once we have questioned it and looked at both sides, then we can come to a conclusion that either the information is right or it is wrong 
or we don't know enough to make that decision yet and we need to get more information. The problem becomes when people suppress information. There should be no suppression of information. I am a freedom of speech lover from way back and I believe there should be absolutely no restrictions on freedom of speech with the exception of hate speech and incitement to violence. I don't think either one of those things should be allowed. But any, any other speech, there should be no restrictions. And what Facebook, Twitter, all social media is doing, what the government is doing, is completely wrong. Um, Thomas goes on to say, the really important thing here is that for the average person on the street, they can't understand why somebody would ever refuse vaccines. That understanding leads them to almost rely on deficits to explain it away. So there must be something wrong with you to refuse vaccines. And Hillary the compare says, an intelligence deficit, an empathy deficit, something like that. And he says, yeah, I think that in that case, it's much, much harder to be sympathetic because you can't understand the person and you ascribe a lot of what you perceive as dangerous qualities to that person. And that is completely intentional on the part of the government, the media, and the pharmaceutical industry. And that is why the percentage of people who are concerned about people who don't vaccinate is going up because there is a contingent of very public, very loud media and government who is telling them that. Um, so the, I want to go on to one other thing where they talk about abuse. Uh, Julie Leask talks about uh, some of these parents, meaning the parents who don't vaccinate, will hide their decision about vaccination because they know of the reaction that it could cause among their peers. Others might share their questioning of vaccination and get this big pile on online. Even if they weren't really against vaccination, they were just sharing some questions. So we've reached the point where we can't even ask questions about vaccination without being abused or subject to abuse. Um, the experiences that they describe do amount to what's been described in the literature as stigmatization. Now, I'd go further and say it's vilification. It is something that should be illegal. When I talk about hate speech, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who contact um, individuals who haven't vaccinated and say, I hope your child's going to die from a vaccine-preventable disease, as if there even is such a thing, or I'm going to come and kill your unvaccinated child to protect the rest of the community. And those sorts of messages do happen and they should be illegal. Um, uh, so this Hillary says, Julie, is there much research done about whether being stigmatized tends to entrench people's beliefs or tends to make them reconsider those beliefs? And um, Julie basically says that if you are on the fence and you are stigmatized, you are much more likely to go away from whatever you're being pushed towards. So you are more likely to not vaccinate if you are stigmatized than, um, than if you are dealt with on a reasonable basis. If someone has a discussion with you and talks to you about it, you can be convinced. But if someone is going to be abusing you and stigmatizing you, chances are you're not going to be. And this is one of my favorite, meaning least favorite sections. Um, so uh, they're talking about the attitudes amongst health professionals. 
And Thomas says, I don't want to generalize here, but obviously there's a lot of really wonderful doctors that are doing the right thing and having a great conversation with parents who might be hesitant or even refuse vaccines. I know Julie's team at NCIRS are producing some really good resources for healthcare professionals to do that. And they're basically producing information about how you can talk to um, someone who's refusing to vaccinate and how you can convince them. And most of it is using fear, fear of disease. So um, at the same time, certainly in the research, we know that both in Australia and overseas, there is a percentage of healthcare professionals that will have quite negative conversations. Love that euphemism, negative conversations. In other words, be very abusive with those who might be hesitant about vaccines or refuse vaccines. And I love what he says next. In a way, I think we shouldn't be too harsh on healthcare professionals that struggle to talk to people who refuse vaccines. I mean, for them, it must be very difficult to have a parent come in there and question their long medical training and question an evidence-based treatment. In many cases, these healthcare professionals might have seen the impact of these vaccine-preventable diseases as well. So it's quite an emotional encounter for them. Didums, how sad. Um, the fact is that it's not emotional for doctors. I don't think it is anyway. Doctors are supposed to be health care providers. They are supposed to be advisors. They are not our bosses. They are not our parents. They are not our order givers. They are there to provide information and to allow us to make a decision based on that information. So when we hear someone excusing doctors who are abusive, being abusive to a patient should be a crime. It should be not assault. I don't know what kind of crime it is to be abusive, but being abusive to someone should never be excused. Uh, there is no excuse for that sort of abuse. So the fact that this guy Thomas was making an excuse for doctors and saying, oh, these poor things, you know, they are having their, their knowledge questioned. Well, in general, most doctors are completely ignorant of the real facts behind vaccinations. And doctors who are not completely ignorant of the real facts behind vaccinations often stop vaccinating themselves. They may continue vaccinating their patients, but they don't vaccinate their children or themselves because they know what's happening out there. So um, there is no excuse for this. As I said, this, this transcript is pretty amazing. And uh, by all means, listen to the program um, and make sure that you look at what's happening. Yeah. Most doctors are pharma sales reps. If you look at most medical texts from medical school, you will look at the back of it and you will see um, text provided, book, you know, information provided with the kind support of GlaxoSmithKline, of Pastor Maria, of Merck Sharpen Dome. These, these doctors are learning pharmaceutically written curriculum. And as I've said in the past, they cover vaccines for about a half a day in university. And that university education does not cover um, what can happen after vaccination. It simply says, here are the vaccines in the schedule. Here are when they are given. Here is how to administer them. And here is how to record that you've administered them. Um, you will not see serious side effects following vaccinations because they simply don't happen. You may see fever, swelling at the injection site. You may see things like that, but you won't see anything serious because vaccines don't cause serious reactions. So they've been brainwashed by their medical education. So calling doctors in general 
experts on vaccination is the hugest exaggeration you could ever imagine. Most parents are far more expert on this issue if they have done any research whatsoever. And most, and that is why doctors will not debate parents on vaccination. Um, tonight, I think it's already happened, I'm not sure, that the time differences really play with my head. Um, but tonight there was a live debate, debate, in New York. Dr. Um, Professor, sorry, let's try this again. Robert F. Kennedy and Congressman Al Sharpton um, tried to set up a debate on vaccination in Harlem. Um, and they invited all of these experts on vaccination from the government, from the pharmaceutical industry, from the medical community to come and debate on this issue in front of a group of citizens. Citizens should be allowed to access this information. And what happened was none of the uh, pro-vaccine people would agree to come because they know they cannot possibly uh, defend the science behind vaccination because there is no science behind vaccination. Vaccines are not scientifically, scientifically tested. They never have been, not in the combinations in which they're given and not individually. There are no long-term um, placebo-controlled trials of vaccine safety or effectiveness. Um, there are no trials of the safety of vaccines in pregnancy. In fact, there is a lot of information coming out now showing a huge increase in uh, spontaneous abortions, which used to be called miscarriages, in women who've been vaccinated during pregnancy, and yet the government is pushing um, vaccines on every pregnant, women, pregnant woman, which it, to my mind is a crime against humanity. Um, and I just think that what we're seeing now is a revolution against the paradigm that vaccines are completely safe and effective. And we are seeing increasing numbers of people being brave and coming forward. Um, there is one other thing I forgot that I wanted to cover, and that is the, um, oh, what happened to it? Hang on one second. I seem to have lost my window. Here it is. Um, that is that the AVN this weekend on Friday the 25th of October and Sunday the 27th of October is going to be screening um, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s talk about the HPV vaccination in Launceston and also in Hobart, Tasmania. I'm flying down there and I will be doing the Q&A um, in Launceston and I will be doing the Q&A in Hobart with Helen Lobato, who is the author of Vaccine, uh, Gardasil, Fast-Tracked and Flawed. For some reason, I have a mental block on the title of that book, but it's Gardasil, Vaccine, Fast-Tracked and Flawed. She's been researching this issue for many, many years. And um, she's done a few of the Q&As, including one of them in Brisbane, and she's brilliant. So um, we still have some seats available at these screenings. Um, if you would like to come along, we urge you to do so. Aside from the fact that the information is fantastic, this information is available online. It is not just to get the information, it is to show support for the AVN, for your local communities. The women who organized these two events have expended an amazing amount of energy and done an incredible amount of work for this. Um, we're having a good turnout. I'd like to see a great turnout. So you still have time to book your tickets 
for these events, and I would really like to urge you to do so. Um, I want to share something that someone, it, it, it relates back to being brave. Um, we are going to be showing, we being the AVN, we are going to be showing Vaxxed 2 um, in December. And it's going to be an exclusive in Australia. A lot of people are confused about this. They say, I've already seen Vaxxed. This is not Vaxxed. This is Vaxxed 2. This is the parent stories. This is... Uh, Anita saw a pre-screener of it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm probably going to see it by Friday. But um, Anita saw it. She said she cried the entire way through. And she said, everybody must see this film. She was that, it was that powerful. It was that emotional. And it was that convincing that, that there is a real problem with vaccinations. And our children who are the sickest generation ever. How horrendous is that? Um, our children are being harmed at rates that we have never seen before, not even in the times of you know, typhoid and, and tuberculosis outbreaks. We never had this level of injury and death in our children. Um, the United States is now, I think, number 57 out of all countries developed and developing when it comes to infant mortality and they spend five times more on health care than any of the other countries. Um, the amount that we're spending on vaccines and drugs is doing nothing to increase our health. It's only harming our health. So we are going to be showing Vax2 um, in December over a one-week period. We're not going to have a lot of lead time to advertise this. So once you see the tickets, please buy them because as we saw with what happened with Vax, they're going to sell out really quickly and then we're going to have people saying, oh, could you have room for one more person, please? I really want to get in to see this. We're, we're, in most cases, we're not going to be able to get increased seating. Some of the venues do have larger rooms and we can switch to them if we need to, but most of them don't. So as soon as we announce the tickets are on sale, which will be sometime over the next week, uh, probably by the weekend, we'll be doing the ticket sales on a rolling basis as the venues are finalized, um, book them. But what I want to tell you is, I heard from someone, and I'm not going to say who they are or where they are or anything, but this is a person who is a health professional, and they told me that they are vaccine injured themselves, and they will not be coming to see Vax2, not because they don't want to see it, they're dying to see it, but because they're afraid someone will see them and recognize them at the venue, and they may be um, censured by their um, colleagues in the medical profession. As the parent of a vaccine-injured child, I have a lot of trouble with that attitude, and it's not that I'm not sympathetic, and it's not that I'm not empathetic, I am both. And I care deeply that people are not um, attacked because of their view on vaccination. That's one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing. And I've been under attack for a very long time, for over 10 years, so I know what that feels like more than most. But I cannot relate to the attitude that I am too afraid to speak out on this issue because I'm afraid I'm going to be attacked, knowing that my not speaking out may mean that more people are going to be harmed. And I'm saying that there are ways around everything. And if it means wearing a Guy Fawkes mask or some kind of disguise, 
sunglasses and a wig to come to these events, to come to the, um, the vaccine injury events, to come to the uh, screenings of the RFK documentary and vaxxed, then do it. Whatever it takes, do it. Because if we are afraid to support our own community, if we are afraid to, to stand up and speak out on what we believe to be true and on the harm that we believe is happening to children, innocent children and babies, then we are never gonna win this battle. But if we speak out, if we form a united community, if we help each other and support each other, then there is nothing that can stop us and we will save the children of this generation from a lifetime of pain. So please, everyone, be brave. Thank you, Adam. That's exactly what I mean. Be brave. Whatever it takes. You don't have to come public if you don't want to, but you do have to be there. You do have to be counted. You do have to be part of your tribe. Okay, and I'm going to also repeat what Adam also said, which is that ABN membership helps support these information programs. We work our butts off. Um, the AVN committee, the AVN supporters, we are working seven days a week, sometimes 18, 20 hours a day. I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for many of the other people that I know here. Many of the people in the AVN have full-time jobs. Then they come home from work, feed their families. When their children are in bed, they get on their computers and they spend four to five to six hours researching and writing emails and answering things. And they do this because they care about you, about our community, about your children. So all we're asking is for $25 a year, go to avn.org.au, join the AVN. Um, everyone can afford $25 a year. That's cents every week. And your support helps us to fight against the tyranny and the repression that is currently institutional in Australia, in the government. I have been talking for virtually an hour and a half. That is just crazy. <laughs> My husband would not be surprised at all because he has to put up with me doing this every day. But I want to thank everyone who has sat here and listened to me run on and on about these issues. I hope that you have found it interesting. I'm going to let you know again, for those who were not here at the beginning, that the Under the Wire will be coming to you from different venues over the next few weeks because I'm going to be in Tasmania next Saturday. I will be doing an Under, Under the Wire from Tasmania and um, I'll be back here in early November, but then I'm going to be in the United States at the VIE Crazy Mothers event and I will be doing a lot of interviews there um, with potentially Del Bigtree, James Lyons Wheeler, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who else? Uh, I might do another brief interview with Hillary Simpson. She was amazing. That was one of my favorite interviews. Uh, whoever, whoever I can speak with there, I'm going to be speaking with David, um, oh my God, Stefan? I can't remember his surname now. I can see it in front of me, but I can't remember. Um, he's a Canadian father who was jailed for, um, for uh, 
his son who died after, uh, after medical malpractice. Because he wasn't vaccinated, they tried to charge him with his child's death. So there's a lot of very interesting interviews coming up in the next few weeks. But it's going to be, oh, from the Philippines. Hi, Sally Ann. Good to meet you. And I'm glad to see you coming here from the Philippines. We have people from all around the world, and that's wonderful. We have such a great network um, that, is, that is coming together to fight for uh, rights and against tyranny. So thank you for coming here from the Philippines. That's great. Um, so in the next few weeks, there's going to be a bit of a mishmash of where Under the Wire is coming to you from, but it will be coming to you every Saturday. And uh, we will try our best to bring you some really amazing um, content. Uh, so please join us and please share this broadcast as widely as you can on all social media. Um, you can find Under the Wire on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Brighteon, um, which is the uh, the Health Rangers um, video website like YouTube, uh, but it's without YouTube without the censorship. So um, thank you everyone so much. I'm going to say goodbye. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I will see you here next week. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye.